The dirty, smelly man picked up a rock and hurled it back at the house, and the boys followed his lead. Clarie's eyes suddenly fell on the blonde-headed Christopher Sider, who was leaning over to pick up another stone. As she ran to grab him, everything seemed to unfold in slow motion. Richardson fired his musket from the open window, but this time he lowered his aim, spraying the crowd with pellets. Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. This podcast is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And I'm your narrator, Denny Brownlee. By the way, as you listen to this episode from the audiobook The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, keep in mind you can download your very own copy of it by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you'll find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, epicorderoftheseven.com. Today, of course, we'll bring you Chapter 53 from The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, and we'll check in with our author extraordinaire, Jenny L. Cody, and without being boastful or anything, we'll pose a question that will help us understand why we can give her that title, Author Extraordinaire. And as always, today's episode is hosted by our terrific trio of epic animals, Liz, Max, and Nigel. Although I see only Max and Nigel. Hello, sir lad. Have you seen Liz? No, I was just about to ask. Good. Because I heard some disturbing news about her. About Liz? Uh, whatever did you hear? According to our new neighbor, she be going around tilling the neighborhood I ripped into the trash and tore up her garden. Oh, that. How is that bad if indeed you did it? It aren't true. Did she tell you then? Well, yes, and I was rather disappointed. I know. Why would she lie about such a thing? I meant I was disappointed in you. How could you do such a thing? I didn't. Did she also tell you she's calling the dog pound on me? I say she's what? Aye, that's what I heard. She's not a cat, she's a rat. Well, I say that's a bit over the top. Ah, there you are, Maximilian. You have some splaining to do. <laughs> so do you, Lizette. Where do you get off calling the dog pound on me? Excusez-moi? I did no such thing. But why did you tear up the trash and my petunias? I didn't mess with your precious flowers, or the trash for that matter. I did see quite a mess out in the backyard, I must say. Uh, someone has done something. Where did you hear that I was going to call the dog pound? Uh, from our nice new neighbor fella, Chuck. That woodchuck fella? Aye. He told me some wild animal were here tearing up everything. And aye, it'd be a mess. But then he said, you are blaming me for it. Well, it would not be the first time, Max. I'm just saying. Well, I don't think our new neighbor would just make up bad stuff about me. Oh, please. He lives in a hole in the ground. Well, that aren't a very nice thing to see. Well, it is true, though, Max. The old chap actually dug the hole himself, by choice. Well, it were the way she said it. Oh, so now you're a capable judge of my inflection? I didn't know you had an inflection. You should go to the vet before we all get inflected. Inflection, old boy, not infection. Well, I don't want her inflection either. And where'd you hear it were me messing up the garden? Indeed, Liz. Where did you hear that Max was our vandalizing vomit? That does not matter. It is the kind of thing Max would do. Now, hold on there, Liz. I say, both of you. 
Uh, this is rather unbecoming of such upstanding animals, not to mention dear friends. Now, I suggest you go off to your separate corners, as it were, and, uh, announce a chap. Uh, perhaps you could read the next chapter of our story and bring a sense of peace to this studio, what? Yeah, sure, but, uh, this may not be the chapter of choice for, uh, illustrating peace. Chapter 53. Innocent Blood. Boston, February 22nd, 1770. Tory importer! Tory importer! Shame! Shame! A group of boys shouted, hoisting a large, crudely carved effigy head on a pole into the air. Lily is a Tory importer! Don't buy from him! Shame! What's all the ruckus about this morning? Max asked as he and Clarie walked up to view the scene of thirty or so boys shouting, laughing, jeering, and throwing lemon peels at the merchant shop of Theophilus Lilly. By their dress, most of them were from the lowest class of society. And why aren't these laddies in school? It's Thursday, and school lets out by ten o'clock for boys to attend a public lecture in Boston. But they never do. It's also market day, with farmers in town to sell their produce, so it's naturally a perfect day for assembling a mob, Clarie explained. She was dressed as a worker from the dockyards of Boston. The Sons of Liberty have recruited these young boys as apprentices to stir up trouble with merchants in the area who have refused to sign the non-importation agreements over the Townsend duties. Theophilus Lilly was among the loyalist merchants whose names were printed in the paper and listed as enemies of their country. Aye, so the patriots be putting pressure on Parliament to repeal them Tonsonacks by not buying anything from England, deduced Max, watching the boys in the street. And for the merchants who try to sell British goods, this is what they get. Or worse, they could be tarred and feathered if the mob gets out of control. Clarie pointed out. Suddenly a gruff-looking man by the name of Ebenezer Richardson came walking up to the crowd trying to get the mob of boys to stop marching on the merchant and to take down the effigy of Lily's head. That Ebenezer Richardson is a scoundrel, accused Clarie with a frown as her eyes followed the man. His bad reputation followed him here to Boston. When he couldn't find a job, he signed up to be a customs informer. She looked down at Max, meaning he squeals on anyone who smuggles or doesn't pay the Townsend duties. He's a rat, then, Max scowled. Some Whig, or Patriot gentleman, standing on the corner, laughed at Richardson's attempts to call off the mob. The irritated Richardson held up his fist in the air and shouted, Perjury! Perjury! He then stomped off toward his house, followed by the mob of boys who decided to turn their protest on the informer. What in the name of Pete does he mean by that? I don't know, but he's made matters worse with these boys, Clarie worried, growing alarmed as she spotted Christopher Sider in the crowd laughing. This was the boy she had protected and sent home the night the mob stormed the wharf when British soldiers captured John Hancock's ship, the Liberty. We better follow them. Informer! Informer! The boys shouted angrily, pointing at Richardson as he reached his front door. 
Richardson's wife, Kezia, opened the front door, and the couple tried to shoo the boys away. Get out of here! We will not! Christopher shouted, cupping his mouth. King's Highway! Max looked up at Clary. King's Highway? He means they have every right to be out here on the street, Clary explained. Suddenly, Richardson grabbed a walking stick from inside his house and held it up, threatening to hit the boys. He gritted his teeth. Get away from my house, you street etchins! Someone hurled an egg and hit Kezia on her face, sending runny egg yolk down her cheek. Oh, look what they did! She exclaimed, wiping away the egg and running inside. Some of the boys threw lemon peels and other harmless rubbish at the open front door. Some of it landed in the foyer as Richardson continued to angrily shout at them. The crowd was quickly growing, as now some working men and sailors from the docks joined the rambunctious mob of about 70, encircling Richardson's front door, shouting, Informer! Shame! One of Richardson's daughters stood inside the house and threw a brick bat into the mob, hitting one of the sailors on the arm. The sailor angrily picked up the brick and threw it back through their front window, shattering the glass and sending shards flying everywhere. This is getting out of control, Clarice screamed in alarm. Suddenly, Max lifted his nose and sniffed the air. That rotten stench! I've smelled it before! One of Richardson's fellow customs workers named George Wilmot pushed his way through the crowd and shoved Richardson inside the house, slamming the door behind them. Do you have any guns? Wilmot asked, out of breath and wiping his brow. You better protect your family and your house before they destroy it like they did them stamp collectors. Richardson set down his stick and grabbed two muskets mounted on his wall, handing one to Wilmot. Once he had loaded his gun with powder, Richardson opened his front door and shouted, as sure as there is a God in heaven, I'll blow a lane through all of you. He suddenly fired, filling the air with smoke and the smell of gunpowder. Clary and Max ducked as the boys scattered. No bullet. <sighs> Thank the maker. He's just trying to scare them. Clary sighed with relief as Richardson slammed the front door shut and disappeared again. But her smile faded as she saw a dirty man shouting instructions to the boys to pick up any heavy rocks and bricks they could find. The man pointed to Richardson's house and threw a stone. Oh no, they're returning. Aye, this time with stones, Max growled, sniffing the air and frantically looking around. Oh, this isn't good, lass. Something bad's about to happen. Try to pull any boy you can away from here, Max. Clarice shouted as the mob started to throw the objects at the windows of the house. She ran into the mob, grabbing the boys right and left, telling them to get home before they were hurt. Oh! Kezia cried as a rock flew into the house and hit her on the arm. Her daughter screamed and ran to her side. Quickly! Get to the back of the house! Richardson shouted to his family, who scurried to the back bedroom. Turning to Wilmot, he instructed, You stay down here while I go upstairs. He pulled out a paper cartridge of pea-sized buckshot pellets and proceeded to load his musket. The dirty, smelly man picked up a rock and hurled it back at the house, and the boys followed his lead. 
Clarie's eyes suddenly fell on the blonde-headed Christopher Sider, who was leaning over to pick up another stone. As she ran to grab him, everything seemed to unfold in slow motion. Richardson fired his musket from the open window, but this time he lowered his aim, spraying the crowd with pellets. A sailor named Robert Patterson felt the pellets rip through his baggy trousers but miss his leg. Nineteen-year-old painter Sammy Gore was hit in his right hand and thigh and fell back into the street, screaming as he held his hand in agony. But suddenly, eleven-year-old Christopher Sider's white shirt turned red as eleven pellets found their mark in his chest. He fell back onto the cobblestone street just as Clarie reached him. No! She screamed as she quickly scooped Christopher up in her arms and started running toward the home of Dr. Joseph Warren. Max ran after Clarie as the crowd dispersed, but glancing over his shoulder, he saw the dirty, stinky man tossing a rock up and down in his hand, smiling. Well, indeed, this seems to be the day for squabbles, disputes, and, of course, uh, far worse in our story. For Liz and Max seem to be at odds with each other over this trashing of the garden incident, fueled by a certain nosy new neighbor who seems to be spreading a bit of rubbish himself. I say, I shall soon get to the bottom of this, but uh, until cooler heads prevail, I shall keep this uh, light and jolly <laughs> by taking a stroll over to Jenny's Corner. Uh, cheerio, Miss Jenny. Hey, Nigel. Well, my dear, I shall start with a quick question that perhaps many authors ponder from time to time. Oh, good. What can I help you with? Do you ever think you'll, uh, run out of ideas? Do I ever think I'll run out of ideas? Hmm. Nope. Well, I say straight and to the point, what? Uh, well then, that would seem to beg the question, just how many books do you think you will write? That's a good question. Well, <laughs> more than I think I do right now, if history has anything to do with it. <laughs> Again, I did not set out to write all these books on the American Revolution. I was first going to do The Voice of the Revolution in the Key, which, of course, had a different name. It was The Voice of the Revolution in the Jewel. And if you'll notice, sometimes in the back of my books, I will say future books coming and I'll list a book name and then it changes when the book comes out. That's because I've ended up splitting this revolution series into more and more books because I've had so much to tell y'all. So what started out as one book is now going to be six at this point in the revolution. And of course, you're probably sitting there saying, Jenny, six, shouldn't you make it seven? And I'm like, at this point, I want to keep it six because I'm ready to get on to other things because after I finish the American Revolution, we're going to be going to C.S. Lewis and World War II. I'm a big World War II junkie. The two eras that are my favorite in history are the Revolutionary Era and World War II. So I love both of these equally. I think I could slide into a time machine and be happy in both worlds. So I can't wait. I've done a lot of research on D-Day and World War II, and I have stayed in C.S. Lewis's house and interviewed his secretary at the Eagle and Child Pub in Oxford. So I can't wait to get to that story because C.S. Lewis 
inspired my pen, and now my pen is going to inspire his pen. Hmm, what could I possibly mean by that? But beyond that, I always think about other Bible stories that I'd like to write, and I kind of left sticky notes in my head that I want to go back. I would like to write the story of Esther, of uh, Jonah, of David, of Gideon. And so instead of writing big, long novels on each of those, I think I might write the lost files of the epic order of the seven and essentially have it be a collection of scenes from the Bible of those moments where the animals were there and they intervened in that particular scene. I think that would be a lot of fun. And if you notice, if you pay attention closely, the animals drop hints all the time that they were with Moses and that they were with David and Goliath and all of these things. So I drop hints now and then that they were there So then I can go back and write it. But basically, I'll keep writing till God tells me to stop. And so I somehow don't think retirement is ever going to be on my schedule. (laughs) And you know what? I think we're going to keep doing what we love and what we're gifted at in heaven. We know we're going to have jobs in heaven. Why wouldn't I keep writing in heaven? We're still going to want to learn and explore and discover. So I get really excited about the possibility of sitting down face-to-face with whoever I'm writing about and getting the full story. Can you imagine sitting down with David? Okay, now what were you thinking when Goliath was walking towards you? I mean, unbelievable. I think I'm going to have a blast writing books in heaven. So I guess you're stuck with me forever. Well, I believe I speak for all of us then when I say we're happy to be stuck. (laughs) Thank you, Miss Jenny. I say, uh, speaking of stuck... We're stuck with the challenge of bringing peace to this situation with my contentious colleagues and their family feud. I say, Liz, Max, front and center, if you please. I am here. And I'm here just as much. (sighs) Indeed. It would seem that both of you could stand a bit of a refresher course in love, from the one who is love, the maker himself. Now, we are going to peruse a certain chapter of his book, actually nicknamed the Love Chapter, So get out your Bibles and look it up. I have mine, and I am looking to... First Corinthians. Chapter 13. I know what chapter it is. Well, then make it snappy, we. (laughs) It says, love is patient. You daft kitty. (gasps) Love is kind. It does not envy. Well, it don't be bragging. So I will write. Uh, 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 It is not proud or self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Ah, that is the third time you have... Uh, 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 It don't be keeping score of wrongdoing. (laughs) It does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. And the truth is, you are being childish. Oh, now hold on, lassie. Sure, when I were a puppy, I barked like a puppy, I thought like a puppy, I chewed stuff up like a puppy. But when I got to be a big doggy, I put me childish ways behind me. Did not. Did too. Did not. Did too. Did not. Did not. Did not. Did not. Quiet. Listen to yourselves. Max, I don't care if you bark like an angel. And Liz, I don't care if you have all the brains in the world. Without love, it is all worthless noise. And my big round ears have heard enough. (sighs) Now then, I say... What is the common factor in each of your stories, Liz? Well, 
Max destroyed my petunias and then claimed I was going to report him to the dog pound. Uh-huh. Says who? Says Chucky the Woodchuck. Uh-huh. And Max, what is your beef? Well, Liz blamed me for messing up her garden and throwing trash, and I, she were gonna report me to the dog pound. Says who? Said Chucky the Woodchuck. <sighs> oh, Max. We have been listening to someone we do not even know, mon ami. Aye, and the yard and garden were fine and dandy until, hmm, a wild animal showed up. Hmm, how much lying and gossiping can a woodchuck chuck? Well, I think we know who the real culprit is now, no? Aye, it's time to show the woodchuck how much woodchuck we can chuck. We? Not so fast, my friends. Well, indeed, there's a good chance that uh, Chucky is our perpetrator. I've witnessed all of us falling short of the Maker's glory. I suggest you finish reading the chapter. <sighs> Je comprends, Nigel. Uh, but for now, we only know in part. <sighs> I am sorry for jumping to conclusions, mon ami. Please forgive me. Aye, uh, me too, lass. I'm sorry. Forgive me? Oui. Uh, but these three remain. Faith, Faith hope, and love. love. But, but the, the greatest, greatest of these be love. love. But uh, what do we do about Chucky? We cannot let him get away with this. Oh, he shan't. But you are not his righteous judge. God is. And Chucky is not the enemy. He's just being controlled by the enemy. Aye, the father of lies. What should we do then? He tried to ruin our friendship. Well, you need to pray for Chucky. Forgive him and pray for him, for the old boy needs Jesus more than anything else. Aye. Don't we all? Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And remember, you can download your very own copy of the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. And I'm Denny Brownlee. If God is leading you to support this podcast and Playful World Ministries, please click on the link to Giving Fuel that's listed in the show notes that accompany this podcast. Thank you for listening, and join us next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. Have a grandi! A bientôt, mes Huzzah and ta-ta. And always remember, you are loved and you are able.